Welcome home. This is Audio EXP for the 20th of June 2020, and the title of this episode is Adding Horror and Diversity to D&D. It's tempting to use the word mutiny, but I probably shouldn't. What happened at Reddit's largest board games group was a succession of moderators quit in protest at the lack of action by the lead moderator. Now, as you might expect, that lead moderator has gone because they couldn't run the subreddit by themselves and had clearly lost the confidence of a chunk of the community. Many of the old moderators are now back, but there's a new group at the helm and the subreddit will be doing things differently. They will be doing what they can to combat racism. I had to look on Twitter to see, find out what the reaction of the board game community there was. Mainly, I'm sorry to say, it was good riddance to bad rubbish. Judging from my scan through those conversations, people had grown frustrated with that Reddit community's failure to be a fun and inclusive place. They had moved on. I doubt anyone tunes into a Reddit board game group to talk about politics. But it comes a time when a failure to modernise becomes a political statement in itself. Inaction is not an abstract concept after all. Last week's audio EXP touched on the Black Lives Matter efforts from the community. It was, of course, that focus on rooting out racism that led to the changes at the Reddit board game group. But the tabletop RPG community has been having similar conversations too. Arcanist Press did well with their timing. In the middle of this debate, they released a product called Ancestry and Culture, an alternative to race in 5e. Now, maybe you don't think there are any problems with races in D&D, but the core claim that Arcanist Press makes is that 5e combines culture and genetics into one in the core rules and calls that combination race. And that is true. I have my player's handbook open in front of me. The very first race is Dwarf and the opening description talks about the importance of clan and tradition. Clearly, if a baby dwarf had been teleported away from its parents and raised by anarchist tieflings, then the dwarf would grow up caring little about clan and tradition. Arcanist Press argues, and I believe, it would be better to separate out culture and genetics, or ancestry as they phrase it, and allow gamers to mix and match them to build more interesting characters. After all, if I wanted to play a dwarf raised by anarchist tieflings, then it would be great to have those rules. It costs me nothing to make the change. It costs me not to make the change. If I'm running a Forgotten Realms game, then dwarves raised by dwarves still tend to care greatly about clan and tradition. I ended up speaking to Eugene Marshall, one half of Arcanist Press, about the supplement, because I was getting stuck down with some of the rules around physical traits. You see, what Arcanist Press has done is suggested that racial modifiers are cultural and not ancestral. I get why they wanted to do this. It doesn't make sense to say that some races are less intelligent than others because they don't tend to bother with academic education. We know intelligence doesn't work like that. However, treating intelligence as a cultural trait also means treating strength as one too. Simply put, this is a compromise designed to keep the rules straightforward. A young gnome is physically weaker than a young Goliath. As that happens, the Dungeons & Dragons team at Wizards of the Coast 
ended up making a statement on diversity this week. That's how loud the conversation had become, and I'm sure they wanted to avoid a fate similar to that of the board games group on Reddit, when people left because the lack of change became a political stance and better alternatives could be found elsewhere. In their statement, Wizards said what we should all know. D&D 5e tried to improve on diversity and representation, but with hindsight, the developers still feel as if it fell short. Later this year, Wizards of the Coast will release optional rules that will let players customise their character's origin in such a way that ability score increases might be modified. We don't know if Wizards will take the Arcanist route, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they suggest. Of course, some people will think this is all politically correct nonsense, and some people are angry. Some people don't cope well with change. Some people want their drought to be born bad, and want orcs to be guilt-free combat encounters. I think you know where I stand. I'm happy to have role-playing campaigns in which drow are almost always bad. Verily. Rarely, though, you might find a renegade who's not so evil. Perhaps he leaves the Underdark and ranges across the frozen north in a region called Icewind Dale. You know, like Drizzt. Oh, speaking of Icewind Dale, it has now been confirmed that D&D's next setting and expansion adventure is Icewind Dale, A Rime of the Frostmaiden. That was announced during day one of D&D Live. The twist, though, is that this game is going to be a horror. John Carpenter's The Thing is a big inspiration, and that's a scary movie. Scientists are trying to track a shape-shifting alien across the Antarctic landscape, and they generally end up dead. Icewind Dale's weather is so dangerous that Wizards of the Coast have created rules for blizzards and avalanches. The Frostmaiden, a lesser god, is also a shape-changer, and the book has different stat blocks for her to use depending on how the PCs encounter her. We're told that this adventure will use horror aspects like isolation, secrets and paranoia. I think those are a perfect match for a murderous shapeshifter. What's caught my attention though is a report from Polygon that mentions a preview event and at this event D&D's storyline designer Chris Perkins is reported as saying that characters will all have secrets and it's up to the players when or if they reveal those secrets to the dungeon master. Okay, PCs with secrets are a great idea. However, I don't think I like the idea of secrets from the dungeon master. If it's an in-game thing, then the dungeon master needs to know, know about it. I know there are games in which the group works together to create the world and describe what's happening. There are rules and systems in place for such RPGs. Dungeons & Dragons does not have very much of that and the new generation of gamers welcomed into the hobby by the strength of D&D 5e may not have much experience with it. I'm not saying no, I'm saying that I don't like the idea as it was presented. Unless the Wizards of the Coast team clarify, we have to wait until September to find out how Rhyme of the Frostmaiden handles this. In the meantime, we can turn to veteran designer Sandy Peterson for help with horror. Geek Native was lucky enough to speak to Sandy this week, and we talked about adding Cthulhu to fantasy. Sandy argues that in a game that already features multiple planes of existence, magic and godlike entities, that the Cthulhu-style mythos needs to go beyond all of that to create the cosmic horror 
that they're supposed to. He gives an example of Cthulhu manifesting like a cosmic disease into your fantasy world. Geometry itself shifts in favour of Cthulhu, so that if characters are trying to run away, you might find out that they're running towards it. Reality itself begins to crack, horrors pour forth, and eventually it's not just the world that unravels, but the game universe itself. We also find that Peterson Games is working on a Dreamlands book, so your PCs won't be safe from harm even when they're sleeping. Or, if you're looking for even more options, you could use Dreamlands to port your characters from, say, a D&D 5e setting to perhaps, say, Space, powered by Starfinder, when the group believes they have woken up somewhere else. Speaking about Starfinder, there's a bit of Pazio news this week. Starfinder Year 3 has been announced. Next month, two playtests will kick off, including mech combat rules. But the biggest headline is the management reshuffle at the publisher. Patio's founder, Lisa Stevens, is stepping back from day-to-day management. This is phase one of our retirement. Jeffrey Alvarez has been promoted to president. Eric Mona is still the chief creative officer and publisher, so it's Eric who has the final say and what Pazio sends to the printers. Green Ronin sprang a surprise on us this week. It was Green Ronin who won the rights to do the official Game of Thrones RPG. It was called A Song of Ice and Fire. But that deal has ended, so there won't be any more supplements for it. However, in response to the lockdown, and needing to make money from digital sales only, the astute publisher took the Chronicle system that powered A Song of Ice and Fire and transformed it into a standalone core rule set of its own. This is a system that they created, and which has rules for duels, battles, and courtly intrigue. The new game is called Sword Chronicle, and yes, it uses the Chronicle system to power feudal fantasy games. But it is not Game of Thrones without the name. They are adding in rules for elves and dwarves, after all. Oh, by the way, they're calling those antrestries and not races, just as Lisa Stevens' Pathfinder 2nd Edition does. So Sword Chronicle is more like a traditional Western fantasy RPG than Game of Thrones. Hopefully it's the best of both. Another surprise was Roll20's Burn Bright. That's mainly a surprise because Burn Bright was hardly burning brightly in my mind. I'd nearly forgotten about it. It's three years since he announced it. The virtual tabletop is investing in their own RPG. They're now, in a way, competing with their publisher partners. Burnbright is a sci-fi, and it's specifically designed to work with the Raw20 platform. It will be published next month. And while we're talking about surprises, what about Games Workshop handing money back to the British government? It turns out that Games Workshop has, despite the lockdown, had a great year so far. People have been gobbling up their games, probably to cope with the lockdown. So, while the Wargames maker initially secured overdraft and engaged in all sorts of clever and smart financial moves, it turns out they don't need the government loan after all. And if handing money back is alien to you, then there are a few freebies worth mentioning this week too. Amazing Tales, the family-friendly RPG, has two free downloads. One was written by a teacher and is designed to help you use Amazing Tales to teach kids, and the other was written by a child therapist and it can be used to see whether role-playing might be an appropriate therapy for the kids that you know. Albacon will be free, with donations going to charity, 
Albacon is an online event which you might consider the replacement for the cancelled Tabletop Scotland and it will run from the 3rd of October to the 4th. What we've seen is that the lockdown forced many conventions to be cancelled, but some of them are being replaced by online events. I know it's not the same thing, but I think we're learning. It feels like the early years of e-commerce. You know, e-commerce was rubbish back then, but we kind of knew what to do, but we just didn't know how to make it happen, but we got there. I think that's what's going to happen with online events too. We will just collectively get better at them. The other bonus of online events is that they are cheaper and therefore small businesses can run them. Nerdburger Games, the indie publisher behind the Roaring Twenties superhero game Capers, has announced NerdburgerCon Online. That will run from the 14th of August to the 16th. It has been a busy week, hasn't it? Uh, there are some trailers and geeky announcements I want to squeeze in though. First up, EA looks like they might have something great on its hands with Star Wars Squadrons. You form a squad of pilots with your friends and people you've met online, you pick your spacecraft and it does not have to be a TIE fighter or an X-Wing, and you can tinker with it, and then, like Destiny's fire teams, you work together to blow up the other side. And there are two Werewolf of the Apocalypse computer games coming out. First up, there's Earthblood. In the trailer, we see a blood-red tree and wolves. And then there's a fight outside a factory or a power station. There's a mech on duty that's gunned down all the attackers, and it looks bleak. Those red leaves from the tree blow in and enter the fight scene. One of the combatants begins to transform. Earthbound is described as an action RPG all about eco-terrorism. These monsters will be going to war against those polluting machines. The other werewolf game is called Heart of the Forest, and we don't know so much about it. The trailer shows the horrors of deforestation. We know about the designers though. They are called Different Tales, and are ex-The Witcher developers, and they have signed the Slow Games Manifesto. Slow Games aren't about games that take an age to play. It's more like an anti-clickbait style of game. Different tales want to treat their audiences as adults and develop games that you can come back to after taking a break. But that's not all before we leave the world of darkness. Let me also talk about Wraith, the Oblivion VR game. If you've not worn a VR headset yet, then it's hard to get across just how effective the good ones are. You can really get lost in their games. The idea of a well-made Wraith game is terrifying. In Wraith, you're dead, but you have unsettled business and there is something out to get you. In a week of media announcements, it's worth calling it that Netflix is about to air Ben Dunn's Warrior Nun. Our hero is a young woman with an attitude who, somehow, finds herself with special powers and fighting against the forces of evil. While our hero is no saint, she finds herself allied to a religious order that trains nuns to be warriors. I get Buffy the Vampire Slayer vibes from it, and that's no bad thing. A few days after Warrior Nun arrives on Netflix, God of High School arrives at Crunchyroll. This is an anime about a martial arts tournament run by the powers that be, and the latest trailer makes it out to be a high-octane thrill. I'm looking forward to it. Lastly, before I go, there's a Geek Native thank you in the fuzzy shape of a small suit sprite earmarked for all patron backers of the Geek Magistrate level or above this month. If you're already at this level, or you get there before the end of the week, then you'll get one. 
Do you need a fluffy thing with cute eyes? Nope. But as with all the Geek Native gifts, this is just my way of saying thank you for your support. And on that note, let's leave it there. Keep safe, keep well, and let's catch up again next week.